You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Elena Zinkoff. She wrote a book called The Crave Reset, a breakthrough guide for mastering the psychology and physiology of cravings. But our conversation is a little bit different. It's kind of broken up into two parts. I went and saw Dr. Zinkoff about a skin issue that I was having. And for the first half of the episode, up until about an hour and five minutes, we go through my blood work. And this is actually a pretty cool exercise because you can take the blood work analysis that we do uh, live. And if you've done blood work recently, you can kind of go through step by step to figure out how to read that. Because uh, if you've done blood work recently, usually your doctor says, hey, it looks good uh, or it looks bad, and they don't really talk through it. So if you're interested in going through some of the blood work for yourself and interested in kind of like what my blood work looks like uh, as a high-performing keto hint, I have high cholesterol, uh, shocker, Um, but I also have candida, which was uh, contributing and uh, to my face being, uh, kind of broken out. And so we go through that stuff. If you want to go ahead and skip through to a minute, uh, to an hour five, after that, we talk a lot about cravings. We talk a lot about, uh, blood. We talk a lot about the brain and also we talk about cravings. And if you have never done a food allergy elimination diet or an elimination diet of any kind, um, it is a really great way to reset your, Uh, not only your cravings, but also the way that you look at food and how you eat. We range through a lot of different topics, and we also talk about an alternative to insurance that I have signed my family for, uh, which is called uh, HealthShare. So it's, I don't have insurance anymore. I'm an entrepreneur. It costs me way too much, and I never use it. And so I'm checking out a new alternative coming in 2019. But this is a really cool episode, and as always, if you love this content, if you hate this content, let me know. Send me an email, sean, S-E-A-N, at naturalstacks.com. I want to give you guys stuff that you like. I'm not, it's not, a, it's not for, this is not for me, this is for you. So if you have strong opinions one way or the other, I want to hear them. Send me an email, drop me a line. If you love this stuff, please jump on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play and drop us a five-star review and tell us a little bit about why this is important to you. I think this is a really cool conversation with an alternative to the sort of standard medical care that most of us experience. And I think it's really important for us to give voice to these alternative healing modalities, uh, and in this case, to natural health. Um, Naturopathic medicine is about preventative care, and that's a really simple thing, but also it's a really strong thing. And I think it's something that, that we as as consumers and as stewards of our own health and the health of our families, we should be informed. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Elena Zinkov. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. 
Welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. We're here with Dr. Elena Zinkoff, who is a naturopathic doctor. Her clinic is called Proactive Health here in Bellevue, Washington. And uh, Dr. Zinkoff, thanks for having me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So the really the, the backstory with this is I have not had a physical of any sort in probably five or six years. I don't really have a primary care doctor. I take a lot of my own medical practices, dietary stuff, supplements, all that into my own sort of, I take my own health kind of into my own hands. And so I, there hasn't been much of a need to see doctors. I got stitches in my hand when I cut it and that was a thing. But um, generally I don't, I don't really, I don't really use, uh, use doctors very much. But recently um, I've had a flare up of dermatitis um, on my face and I've had it for a long time. And Dr. Zinkoff, who's nodding here, you can't hear her nodding, <laughs> but she's nodding. She agreed to, um, to have me come in and record this because in general, I want everybody to know what alternative uh, to sort of standard care can be. And I believe so strongly in naturopathic medicine and I believe so strongly that we really are what we eat and how important it is. Um, and we're gonna talk about your book too because it weaves into this really nicely. But I also have a question that I ask everybody on the when, when I first bring them on is, uh, it's now three o'clock in the afternoon. What have you consumed today? What have you okay. put in your body today, Dr. Zinkoff? Oh, that's such a great question because I like to practice what I preach. So it's exciting for me because even on the spot, I know that I can be proud to kind of do this dietary recall that I actually ask a lot of my clients to do, right? And when I ask my clients what, what they had in like even 24 hours, they usually say, oh no, well, you kind of caught me off guard. This is not usually how I eat. But in my case, so I do like the bulletproof coffee method. So I have a young child who's almost two. So usually when I get up in the mornings, I used to be a breakfast person. But since I had my son, I barely sometimes have time to eat. So the Bulletproof coffee really kind of saves me in the morning. So I like my coffee with some MCT oil, some butter. And I actually don't put collagen in it because I usually get my protein from other sources. But usually start my day with Bulletproof coffee. And then um, I go for a couple of hours without a snack or a breakfast. And today I... Actually, my breakfast was a bulletproof um, collagen bar and an apple, like a small Honeycrisp apple. And then I had, in between patients, actually before our interview, I had a pumpkin curry that I made at home mm. with garbanzo beans, pumpkin, coconut milk, and some brown rice. So that's my dietary recall. <laughs> and water. <laughs> it's funny because I flipped the script on you because we're going to talk about what I ate. Yeah. What, what I eat, but it's fun. Yeah. Do you take any? Uh, do you take any dietary supplements or anything? Vitamins in the morning too. Inclu I do. Include those. Yeah. So I usually take in. Um, it's a prenatal vitamin by Seeking Health. So I take the first half of them in the morning. I am a huge proponent of adrenal support, so I usually take my adrenal support in the morning. I tend to be low on iron level. My iron levels tend to be low, so I always supplement with iron um, that I use on a daily basis. And then I actually just finished another multivitamin drink um, before you came here, so um, that's, that's gonna be that for the day. And I'll probably have another adrenal support in the afternoon. Do you know that your adrenals are high typically? 
so actually, um, the adrenal, adrenal function can be low or or high, and by, by that I mean the, really the cortisol levels. Right. When I'm thinking about adrenal glands, so I personally know that my cortisol levels tend to be on the lower end, and that's just through years of just prolonged stress and motherhood and owning a business and a medical practice. So. I tend to know that my adrenal glands tend to be on the lower, or the cortisol levels tend to be on the lower side of things, but I also know that in periods of high stress, I tend to go to the high levels of, um, and I, I know the kind of the symptoms to look for, like too, too high levels of cortisol, like sleeplessness at night, this wired but tired at 10 o'clock at night, when everybody goes to bed and I want to work on projects and get my second wind, so that's a sign to me that I'm getting a little bit more cortisol pumped through my through my blood. Um, but adrenal support, a good adrenal support is, is, is supposed to help you offset the high cortisol levels and supposed to increase your low cortisol levels. Got it. So it really, the point of having something that is called an adaptogen right. is to help you go either way depending on where your body's at. Got it, got it, okay, cool. So <clears throat> I, did, uh, I did blood work uh, uh-huh. last Thursday and I think they took a total of seven vials <laughs> Which is so cool. It's so fun to watch your blood fill up in that vacuum vial. Right. Um, and, and I'll just sort of set it up a little bit further. So I, you know, for those of you who listen and, and kind of know me or don't know me, I eat, um, I eat for, t- for ketosis about 80% of the time. Um, and I have noticed really since college, like back in 2004, 2005, I had, I have a theory about where it came from, but I had this like flare up on my face and it was, you know, these, these sort of like oozing, like yellow pus, their spots on my face kind of all the time, not really anywhere else in my body. And, and at one point in the fall, um, it got so bad that it like really kind of took over my whole face. Like it, it made it, it made my, my skin got sort of scaly. It actually prevented me from playing in the senior game of, uh, of my college soccer career. Cause like I was, I was so sensitive and my face just, I, it just, it looked terrible. And so since then it kind of has gone through waves and I've noticed, you know, if I, drink a ton of beer on a Friday night, like Monday, I usually have a few more spots. Um, you know, pizza, like these sort of like glutinous foods that I eat, obviously I, I, I've noticed, but I've never really dedicated myself to, I did, an, I, fo- I did a food allergy elimination diet years ago and I sort of had a suspicion that it was gluten and wheat and yeast. And I know that we're gonna talk a lot about candida um, uh, in this conversation, but now we can, you know, we'll, I'll sort of, I'll sort of take your lead to tell me what tests we did, why we did those, because I get a sense, and you just wrote a book about cravings and and how how we associate with food and how and how big that is, and now I'm about a week and a half into a really strict diet that's almost exclusively uh, meat and vegetables, uh, so. Why did you have me do what you do? And then we can talk about me for a little bit and then we can talk about sort of your general approach to care. Yeah, that sounds really good. So originally when, you know, I got your message to kind of talk about some skin issues from a naturopathic perspective, a lot of skin issues, whether it's eczema or psoriasis or dermatitis, 
leads down to gut health. And so when I hear that there's a skin issue, I usually, my first, the first place that I usually go to is the gut, what's happening in the diet, right? And then if the diet is all well and clean, then we look at deeper sources or other sources of inflammation, such as immunity and hormones. Um, and so when we first started talking, besides labs, I wanted to first start on the foundation level, which is what is your nutrition? I wanna know how you're currently eating, how you're currently fueling. And of course you mentioned, oh, you know, every once in a while the beer or the pizza will upset me, you know? And so, um, and the challenge that people have is that they'll know that those things are triggers, but they don't have quite have the direction on how to get, take those things out of their diet, right? And so that was helpful to start with you was that like, okay, for the first few weeks, let's just take that out. Let's be really strict in that we only have really clean, non-processed foods. Because when you described your, your skin breakout to me and how it kind of comes and goes and this flares and that the types of foods like the, the, you know, the gluten and the dairy that tend to cause inflammation, I, I did suspect that there possibly is, is like a yeast overgrowth or a bacterial overgrowth. And the way that we can um, easily identify if it's yeast is by taking out certain foods that tend to create yeast overgrowth, like gluten, like processed sugar, like yeast-containing products like beer, right, which is kind of a bomb of gluten and yeast put, put together. So the diet really is the first place where I wanted to start. And then because you haven't had a physical in a long time, and I'm, I really commend you for just taking your health into your own hands, um, which is a lot more simple, I think, or readily accessible these days there's so many labs that you can even just go and you know test yourself the, the key question is what do you test for right right and so um, we could do a whole podcast about yeah <laughs> about that but you know I wanted to first with the basic labs like the basic blood work is I wanted to get a general idea okay let's just see what are your white blood cells doing your immunity what are your red blood cells doing are you getting enough iron in your diet most of the time men have either too much iron or normal levels of iron. It's really rare for men to have um, low levels of iron. But then I want to see, you know, with the ketosis diet, you know, how are you metabolizing it? Where is your liver health like? Um, what are some of the cardiac markers like? Cholesterol, is that within normal? And it's not scary when you see people who are on a ketosis diet who have higher than normal um, cholesterol levels. It right. really, it's, it's fine. We're kind of concerned about that is just one factor and a conventional doctor would probably freak out and tell you to stop doing this diet. But a naturopath knows that there's just one factor and we've got to look at the big picture, you right. know? So, and then I wanted to also check on some more markers that are important for men, like, like testosterone, like DHA, those anabolic hormones that are responsible for um, muscle mass, but testosterone also too much of it can cause skin breakouts. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to test for. Um, and then of course, in terms of gut health, I wanted to see, get a snapshot if there is any candida markers that would come back positive. And even though that is not the standard test, it is um, one of the things that I do before we go more comprehensive, like getting a stool test to see on what level is the candida overgrowth? Is it accompanied by other yeast? Cause there's like 200 other yeast that people can be susceptible to. Um, but a blood test, even for candida, can give us a snapshot um, about which tissues are involved and on what level of the immunity. So we'll kind of we'll dive into 
into the labs. Um, cool. I wanted to ask though, did you do the dietary tracker, or is it pretty pretty much been like vegetables and? and it's meat? really been vegetables and meat. I mean, yeah. uh, it it's. Um, I've cheated a couple of times in the evening times. Um, uh, I folded, I caved, and I was not looking forward to telling you about this, but I've had candy uh, the last couple of nights. I think I tell myself, it's not sugar that's my thing. I can have this little teeny, like, mini candy bar. But I've really, I've, um, besides the last, like, two or three nights at nighttime, it's really been, um, I mean, I've had lots of steak I've been just so happens that I've been you know and all of the people that are listening right now know all about the carnivore diet yeah so um, I've I've been dreaming about steaks and eating steaks Um, I've also had a ton of bacon okay um, and then Brussels sprouts broccoli um, raw cucumbers like I'm eating like two cucumbers a day It, there's a there's a psychological barrier for sure because I feel like I'm not being satiated. I've also um, uh, I've also been exercising in this new way with band work. Um, doing it's called the X3 bar and it's 10 minute workouts. It's like X, it's like this really intense workout and it's really it's it's really working for me. I've been doing it for like a month, mm-hmm. um, but I've also been trying to put on lean muscle mass. So I'm trying to make sure that I get tons of protein. Yeah. So um, I. I, I've stayed away from nuts. I've stayed away from dairy, like really far away from dairy. Um, um, I did some fermented foods um, over the course of the last week and a half. I've had kimchi a couple of times. Um, did that irritate your stomach it, at all? It Good. didn't. Good. No, it didn't. Um, I've done, you know, kale shakes. I've been careful about fruit. I've been doing very minimal fruit, like a quarter of an apple in my kale shake. Mm-hmm. I've also stayed away from nuts, but I've done a little bit of, I've done almonds in like the last three mm-hmm. or four days in my kale shakes. Mm-hmm. But really across the board, it's been pretty high protein. Mm-hmm. I have, I've stayed away from the Natural Stacks whey and collagen product that we sell because I wasn't sure about the whey and I had suspicions about casein yeah. and dairy and stuff like that. Yeah. But I've been, I've been really diligent and, and the... And I haven't really seen, um, I can tell pretty quickly if I've eaten something and I know it's going to irritate my face because my face starts to tingle in different spots. And I haven't, I haven't felt that. And, and really like my face is, has cleared up significantly. So I've been, I've been really good. Yeah. Excellent. So I think this would be a good time to jump into some of the labs. Cool. And then, um, we'll walk through the labs. I'll, um, point your attention to things that are really important to look for and some of the things that um, you know can be abnormal so we'll kind of walk through it and then it'll be interesting really to see in terms of candida um, I'll walk you through about the, the three different types of antibodies that the blood test tests for and then um, we'll talk about what the point for the of the gut test will be, which is the stool test, uh-huh. to further test for bacterial and for yeast overgrowth. And then what I would love to talk about too is the different conventional versus alternative ways of managing candida and when there, when there's a time and a place for something like an antifungal. Yeah. Yeah. On that note too, yeah. one thing that I think I should mention is my, uh, my sister-in-law suggested that I do high-dose oregano oil. Right. And when I, I'm, I mean, I was doing like a full dropper of 
super strong oregano oil and letting it sit underneath my tongue for 30 seconds to a minute. And for those of you who have never experienced oregano oil, it is one of the, I mean, I'm used to eating weird stuff and having strange flavors, but like that is a super intense, intense, intense flavor. I did that like for a week, really, really diligently uh, in the morning and in the evening time. And what, it ha- what happened was like within a couple of days, my face dried out mm-hmm. uh, and, and the bumps, the outbreak that I was having on my face got, they got smaller and less red, but like um, more visible and really dry. So I figured I would throw that in there just in, mm-hmm. in, in just for the sake of, yeah. yeah. And oregano oil works really well for bacteria overgrowth and, con- and candida or yeast overgrowth, but it's usually not enough because what happens is that bacteria and yeast over time, they've gotten smarter and they've created these biofilms around them. So whereas before you would only hear about SIBO, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, now there's CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth. And it's just because, you know, the evolution of the fungal and the bacterial species exactly so we usually throw in some enzymes or something especially with yeast like caprylic acid which helps to break down that biofilm so that if something like making the oregano oil more effective or even an antifungal Mm. so um but let's dive into the labs yeah and like with any basic lab work it usually starts out with your thyroid function which looks at the thyroid stimulating hormone or tsh and I usually like it to be around one, so 1.0. So if you guys wanna, listening to this, grab your lab results <laughs> and yeah. take, take a look at what your TSH is. But you know, that's usually TSH around one is usually optimal for thyroid function. And I personally, in, in my clinical practice, see, um, you know, if somebody's coming in with symptoms that are hypo, hy- hypothyroid-like, like, fatigue, inability to lose weight or constipation, um, you know, I like to take a look at the TSH and if it's above a one and if other thyroid markers are down, which is not in your case, and we'll get into that, your thyroid markers are just beautiful. Um, but for somebody, if somebody came in and they had a TSH of like yours, like 1.5 and they had hypothyroid function or hypothyroid symptoms, then I would definitely consider doing like a thyroid treatment hmm. with them. So that's not very a conventional way of thinking. Conventional medicine usually likes to look at things that are either way too low or like way too high because yeah. that's kind of where they succeed. But if something is just like low normal or high normal or anything in between, which is a huge spectrum, they don't, kind of, they don't really know what to do with you. Right, <laughs> yeah. So your TSH and your T4 looks fabulous. So for the T4, again, for those who are listening, I usually like it to be around 1.2. And so Sean here, his T4 is looking looking great, but anything below a 1.2, let's say, like today I saw a patient earlier and her um, T4 was like a 0.8, hmm. but her TSH was normal, um, but she had a lot of room for improvement and she had symptoms of hyperthyroid. So you bet you I was gonna put her on some thyroid support. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next we have just a general lay of the land, like the, what the white blood cells are doing, what the red blood cells are doing. And I like to take a look at things like hemoglobin and hematocrit, which give me an idea of what the total iron level stores are in red blood cells. And Sean's look great. Um, the hematocrit is really important because that gives us the concentration of iron in a red blood cell. And frequently 
women tend to be on the low end of this and men who either eat a lot of red meat or have liver damage or inflammation, the hematocrit or actually the um, MCH right here um, can be elevated, which tells us that there's a little bit more um, hematocrit in the system or iron levels floating around. So um, for, again, for women, make sure that your hematocrit is not low normal because that can eventually lead to an iron deficiency anemia. And for guys, you just don't want it to be um, elevated or in the high end as that can be uh, an indicator, indicator of inflammation. MCV is actually the volume of a red blood cell and we are made up of cells, right? Like billions of cells. And each cell goes through a replication cycle. So one cell leads to two cells, leads to four cells, you know, and it's on and on. And all cells need for DNA and for replication and cell division, they need B12 and folate. So red blood cells also need to divide, right? They're produced in the bone marrow and they need to divide and grow. And so MCV is a great marker for um, what the levels of B12 are and is the red blood cell dividing efficiently? Because if it doesn't divide efficiently, that volume of the red blood cell will grow. Does that make sense? It gets bigger without splitting. It gets splitting. bigger without splitting. And it takes, so it gets, it gets fatter and fatter and fatter, and then eventually it splits. So in your red blood cells, if your MCV is like above a 90 and you're kind of borderline, if your MCV is above a 90, chances are you're lacking in a little bit of B12. Yeah. I, the B, a B vitamin is one that I don't take. I mean, yeah. I take a, I take a ton of other sub, I mean, I take a, I take a, a slew of, of supplements and vitamins in the morning pretty religiously, but B, the B is not what I take. So as I look at that, the MCV, it says 91. Is the mm -hmm. is the ideal range over there on the right, 79 to 97? The ideal range is 79 to 97, and we usually like it to be around 90. Got it. So you're kind of, you're within you're within the range. Okay. But could you benefit from a B12 supplementation? Sounds like. Absolutely. Probably could. Yeah, absolutely. So again, just that the MCV is, uh, on your on your red blood cell labs, it basically gives you an idea of the size of the red blood cell, and all cells need to replicate and need to divide, and a B12 deficiency or low normal B12 levels will cause the, the, the cell to be bigger and bigger because it can't divide. Got it. Yeah. Um, everything else is pretty much looking at, you know, your, your platelets are normal, and then um, things like neutrophils, lymphocytes, monocytes, eosinophils, basophils, that is all looking at your white or your white blood cells. This is your immunity. This is your cells who are responsible for bacteria, to fight up bacteria, viruses, parasites, and also um, sometimes eosinophils are elevated um, during allergic reaction. But you are within within range for that, so there's nothing. Those markers usually become elevated when there is something um, really wrong. So, but that looks within normal. And of course, there are scary situations where those values are either super low, like cancer, or mm -hmm. super high, like cancer and other disorders. So, um, but you know, I don't see very many of those. Um, but it's unfortunate when that happens. But yours are within normal. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, and then the um, the comprehensive metabolic panel, we're basically looking at your kidney and liver function. And um, your fasting blood glucose is looking really good. So people who um, have improper blood sugar uh, metabolism or glucose metabolism, they will have 
either super, super low glucose levels in the morning or super, super high. And so that makes me then concerned about possibly prediabetes and then we have to look further, but your glucose levels are great. So, and this was fasting. And your kidney function, we're basically looking at how well you're, so one of the things, one of the reasons that I like to always look at as just even the major physical, um, especially I work with a lot of high performance people, you know, who are, who are really working out a lot, who are pushing their body, who are fueling with collagen and protein. And so that can, can cause, that can cause stress on both the liver and the kidney. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I look for is like, what's the kidney filtration rate? Right. So that's, and like yours is within, um, yours is definitely within normal. So that even, even with, for somebody who is, tends to be more on a ketogenic diet and eats a lot of steak and bacon, um, both your kidney and your liver function is looking great. So the kidney or the, the liver function is here closer to the bottom and when those enzymes are elevated, it means that there is kidney damage literally enzymes leaking out into blood when there's kidney damage um, and yours are fabulous so that's the globulin this AG is, ratio so bilirubin this is actually so this is more of the alkaline phosphatase ast and the alt are the main um, liver liver enzymes um but the actually the albumin and globulin proteins again for those who are listening this is part of the comprehensive metabolic panel that all doctors order as part of like routine checkup Albumin, globulin, and AG ratio are really important to take a look at because if they're abnormal, it can be a sign of either an immune, it, they're either too much immunity, so the liver is producing a lot of a certain protein to, um, in cases of autoimmunity, in order for your immune cell, immune fun, immune system to do its job, or sometimes in autoimmunity where it's like too much of an immune response and your immune system is attacking its own tissues or liver damage. So usually we look at AG ratio to see if A, it's too low, which means there's kidney damage, or B, it's too high, which means that there's probably an immune hmm. response happening. Okay. Yeah, pretty cool. Very cool. Then we get to the lipid panel, and I'm always curious to see how people are metabolizing, you know, their fat, and um, especially with a ketogenic or a paleo diet, we tend to lean more towards the meat, and meat that's higher in fat. And uh, I, I'm not part of the old school where I, get, I don't get freaked out if somebody's cholesterol is a little bit high. I'm actually more concerned about triglycerides, the dietary fat um, that, that's circulating. And we want those, you know, even those, if those are a little bit elevated, it's really part of the big picture. Like when I'm talking to you, like if you would say that you feel lethargic, if, you're, if you feel like you're not, if your bowel movements are not normal, if, and we can kind of get into more of those maybe details in a second, but if you would have other symptoms besides skin, let's say, kind of some of the things that I mentioned, then we could maybe talk about changing up your diet, right? But if like, if eating more of a higher fat, higher uh, protein diet is making you feel awesome and the skin issue is the only thing that's bothering you, mm -hmm. then I'm gonna say I'm not too worried about your LDL cholesterol being a little bit a little bit high. So if we look, take a look at your panel, your total cholesterol is within range. Your triglycerides are great. Your HDL, which we want it to be above 39, and you're way above that, and that's the good cholesterol. 
HDL, the high density lipoproteins, are the, the good cholesterol that we get from things like plant fat. So my recommendation when I see that the LDL cholesterol is high is I want to see just a little bit more plant-based fat. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of offset the animal protein and the animal fat that you're consuming. Okay. So great sources is like avocado, right? Olive oil, um, coconut oil, all those things that can offset the animal fat. And so I know that, so one of the things that we meant that you mentioned that you used to do a lot of butter. Yeah. Right. Tons of butter. I mean like yeah. two or three tablespoons in my coffee. Right. Just to kick the day off. Yeah. And then I fast until two and then at two, you know, I'll eat. Yeah. I mean butter, butter all yeah. the time. Yeah. So grass fed. So even one of the things that you and I talked about on the phone when it came to some dietary modification besides like taking the grains out and the processed sugar out and cutting out the alcohol was let's not take out your coffee but let's cut back on the butter mm -hmm. intake right so instead of doing like two tablespoons to three doing just like one yeah and so that's kind of just my recommendation is like because it's me i love butter and my husband is always freaking out about how much butter i'm putting in my coffee but then I come back and I show him, do you see my cholesterol results? Yeah. Like, they're fine. I'm, I'm doing great, you know. But it's a fine balance. Yeah. So, again, just doing a little bit more plant-based fats um, would be my recommendation. Just to protect protect your blood vessels. What are some other, I mean, because I, I, I guess I haven't eaten as many avocados as I usually do. I, I guess I've, I usually cook with butter. I can switch to, like, avocado oil olive or oil. olive oil. But what other, what, what are we not thinking of that's another good Flax vegetable Flaxseed oil. Oh, yeah, I never do that. Flaxseeds are great. So the thing that's important is that we have fatty acids that we, we hear frequently about, omega-3 fatty acids, yeah. which are plant-based mostly, except for, like, fish oil, which has that DHA and the EPA. And then meat is usually like omega-6 and 9, and which tend to be a little bit more pro-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And so the big thing is that you hear a lot of people talking about, let's get more people to have more omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. But we need a balance. We need omega-3, 6, and 9. Um, and so for somebody like you who already gets plenty of the 6 and the 9s, you know, I want to focus more on getting the omega-3s from even like, even fish oil. So fish oil, if it's not plant-based but it's anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. you know and and plant-based like kind of I'm kind of repeating myself but the avocados and the flaxseed oil just even do like a tablespoon of flaxseed oil in the morning okay. or um in your with your smoothie okay in the afternoon that's easy would be great and we're still waiting on some of the other results but I'll talk about one of the markers that we did get was so we did test you for testosterone, uh, DHEA, which are anabolic hormones. And honestly, these tend to be, I see more people being low on these. Um, and so some signs of like a anabolic hormone deficiency can be inability to lose weight, uh, low libido, and inability to kind of gain muscle mass, which Sean does not have any of those issues. <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of people come with that but I also think that it's really important to um, have a baseline and honestly the reason why I tested testosterone and DHEA um, and Sean wasn't because he had a complaint about that you know he didn't have symptoms that were indicative of a low testosterone DHEA 
but it's a good baseline and he wanted to get a baseline and he has something to compare to in the future if he does have some sort of symptoms come up um but i always recommend you know i i personally you know in my early 30s i still ha i have a baseline for what my hormones are because then if i want to test them five ten years later i kind of know what my normal was right. when i was feeling good right <laughs> you know and i think people that's kind of the difference between you know, optimizing wellness is that we want to have a baseline. We don't need to wait until something goes drastically wrong or right. until our libido goes out the door and our, our hair falls out to do something about our health. Right. So, um, but like the value that did come back, usually we like to test testosterone together with what's called the sex hormone binding globulin, mm -hmm. which, you know, the, the easy way to remember it is SHBG, um, but that's what binds the available testosterone. So this protein tends to go up and there's an age range, right? So you can see like in puberty between 20 to 49 years old and more than 49 years old. So this protein tends to go up when there's not as much available testosterone floating around because it needs to bind testosterone. The body's pretty smart in its natural wisdom. So what happens is that say you have testosterone floating around and there's this protein that goes and binds it. If the body senses that there's not enough testosterone, it upregulates by producing this protein because now it's the body's mm -hmm. interested in like, it needs to bind more testosterone. So it's trying to do this by producing more of this protein, hmm. right? Interesting. Yeah, so you're not, you know, and you're, um, Yours is kind of like high normal. Right, 51.5 yeah. for the SHBG, and the uh -huh. range for 20 to a 49-year-old is 16.5 to 55.9. Yeah. So I'm at the high range. You're at the normal. high range. So what I'm what I'm going to be really curious about, and I kind of I kind of like to guess sometimes what people's values come back, mm -hmm. you know, when I have partial results. It's kind of a game for me, but I'm kind of a nerd. <laughs> 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 trying to guess like at the, at the at the fair guessing people's testosterone levels <laughs> with just minimal information you know just kind of trying to test my clinical yeah <laughs> my clinical knowledge um but it'll be really good to see do you are you going to come back on maybe the low normal of testosterone and then we'll go from there hmm. yeah. yeah and and usually it's funny when i have if i ever have like couples in here right and we're talking over lab results and like let's say um, the guy's testosterone levels are low and we get him on like some testosterone therapy and then the ladies are like wait a second I need some too I need to be able to keep up with <laughs> yeah. with this guy so I'm yeah. gonna have to warn your wife if <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we should do that we, yeah, we should warn her yeah so and then we're kind of looking into um the basic nutrients like iron for example so again iron is, is what the building block of a red blood cell, it binds oxygen. And so that's it's really important to have normal iron levels. Um, too much iron can actually lead to inflammation and too little iron can lead to just like low performance, low oxygen, cognitive decline, um, shortness of breath. But um, again, more of a concern for women because of the menstrual cycle, because we lose iron every month, um, unless you're on a birth control that stops that mm -hmm. uh which again we could do a whole separate podcast yeah <laughs> on that but your iron levels are looking great um so no concern for like excess inflammation or iron deficiency anemia but all top performers need to know what their 
iron levels are doing. Yeah. Because you never know. And honestly, conventional doctors don't necessarily jump to this or test for this. But I think that with anybody, again, on paleo or ketogenic diet or for anybody who is really pushing themselves, you know, you need more oxygen floating to your tissues when you're pushing yourself. Yeah. And that sometimes can deplete iron levels. So classically for female athletes, right, even with an optimal diet, the a lot of endurance athletes, especially females, tend to go tend to be low on iron, so it can be really overlooked hmm. sometimes. Now we're getting into a little bit of the juicy, yeah, juicy details of this. So the um, the marker that came high for you was candida, yeah, antibody, and that's what I talked about earlier. Was that with skin breakouts? My initial thought is something is in the gut. Let's try the dietary approach. However, I want to get a snapshot if there is any yeast overgrowth happening. So as you can see here, and we'll walk you guys through this, but there's three different antibodies that we look for in the blood. So the way that our immune system works is that we have antibodies that are involved in acute immediate response. We have antibodies that are involved in a chronic response, so immune memory. And then we have antibodies that are involved in uh, serous mucous membranes, the gut, the mouth, and the, um, the uh, genta uro area, so like the genitals and the vagina and all of that, so things that secrete. Mm -hmm. um, so in this case, and the reason why I'm interested in particular something like the serous mucous membranes is because of the gut connection. Uh -huh. Because the antibodies, the line the gut is the IgA. That is your immunity in the gut. And so when looking at the blood test, we're looking at candida antibodies, IgG, which is the chronic immune response. It's the immune memory, which you don't have, so you don't have previous antibodies to okay. candida. Um, IgM, candida antibodies, which is an acute response, which you don't have, but you do have and you are positive for candida antibodies IgA, which is more of the serous mucous membrane like the gut, like the mouth, uh -huh. for example. But you don't have like oral thrush, you don't have you know white patches on your tongue or around like the lips. Yours is on the skin, uh -huh. which could mean that this is more of like the superficial cutaneous, which means that it could be on just on your skin, uh -huh. which is why I'm following up with a stool test for you Yeah, to see is it in the gut or is it just on your skin Got it. that we're seeing. So I just want to repeat that real quick is that when you're doing a candida blood test, you have three different antibodies that we're testing for. One is um, an acute Im immune response, which is antibody IgM. The other one is chronic, or that shows immune memory. So if you've been exposed to candida in the past, that's IgG. And the other one is, you know, we have mucous membranes that line um, the, the mouth and the gut and then um, the genital area. And so that is the IgA um, antibody. And so my concern for Sean was that there's possibly yeast overgrowth, and particularly I'm interested if it's just in the gut, and we'll find out more with a stool test, or is it just superficial and it's just skin? Hmm. So. so so let's say we do the stool test and it shows 
that it is high, mm-hmm. then it is a gut thing. And if it's not high, then, then it's just skin. It's just, just superficial. Skin. Got it. Yeah. Which is really easy, you know, and let's kind of even talk about a little bit of treatment. What would I do? Um, treatment would be twofold. If it's in the gut, we would want you to do possibly an antifungal, which can work really well. But sometimes we have to do it once or twice to fully clear mm-hmm. the fungal infection. Uh, we would also pair it with caprylic acid, which does a really great job of breaking the uh, candida biofilms, which is a protective barrier that you know surrounds the, the yeast and both and, and bacteria, to help get rid of the candida. And there's usually a supplement that we throw on board, on board that has like anti anti antifungal herbs. Okay. Yeah. So that's how we would treat it. If it comes back negative and it's just skin, um, I would do an antifungal, probably top, uh, just topical, just okay. on the skin to help get rid of that. At the same time, you know, we would do things like probiotics and fish oil and just even for prophylactic purposes do um, a anti-candida Candida protocol where you're still not eating any grains, you're not eating any um, starches, keeping fruit minimal, and still maybe including that caprylic acid and everything else because clearly you, you show signs of candida in your blood. Yeah. So we would still, I would, I would still put you on part of the even gut candida protocol, even just to treat the skin because it's all interconnected. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. And then DHEA, we're still waiting on, but it ties back into, so DHEA is a um, great hormone. It's the foundational hormone for um, estrogen and for testosterone. And so when people tend to be low on that, they tend to be low on the other anabolic hormones like testosterone. So we'll see what happens there. And then um, we were looking at vitamin B12 and you're kind of right in the middle. You're even above the middle, but in conventional medicine, they would say you're normal, you don't need to take vitamin B12. Clearly, I can tell by even just looking, like we talked about earlier, at the size of your red blood cell. Mm-hmm. That you're kind of, you know, you're borderline. And could you benefit from some B12? And what Absolutely. would that, what do you think of the benefit would be? Like, how would the how would that manifest? I mean, outside of my skin, just like, how would that, would I notice a difference? You know, it depends. So how's your energy during the day? Pretty high. Okay, good. Yeah. And then do you tend to sleep well? Yeah. Okay. I sleep great. Awesome. And how about um, cognitive function? Any mental fog or do you feel like you have pretty good mental clarity? In the afternoon, I I get a little foggy. Yeah. I I try to do all my hard critical thinking in the morning, you know, and I, you know, I I take a lot of, I take a lot of smart drugs and yeah. nootropics to like help i'm also sort of a dull sort of a dull sword anyway <laughs> like i need i need to I, I have to i learn slowly i think yeah and so yeah i mean um generally pretty good so okay so you may not necessarily then need it i think if you came back and you had a little bit more fatigue because so, b12 works as you know because we, we talked about how like adaptogenic herbs they help you go either way so b12 is a really good nutrient. Not only does it can help you with energy and like mental clarity, but it can also help with um, actually to sleep. You help you sleep better at night. So mm-hmm. I even have patients sometimes who come in in the evenings to get a B twelve shot hmm. so they can sleep better. Yeah, throughout the night. And then I, I know the the hard part about this. 
not to deviate from the from the, the results, but the hard part is is like most people say, I'm good, I'm cool. And they don't know until they try. Until they try, and yeah. they're like, Oh my gosh, I thought I had good energy before. And like, you know, you ask about sleep, like I'm a really heavy sleeper, a hard sleeper. I never wake up. Like I I once a month have to wake up in the middle of the night to use a bathroom, like almost never. And I wake up because I have a six a five year old who comes in at six o'clock and says, Hey, it's time to wake up. So I just wake up and I wake up pretty quickly. But that's not necessarily saying that my I'm sleeping that deeply and it, it may not, you know, without a sleep tracker, you know, I don't really know if I'm getting really quality sleep. I just know what I know, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well and it's hard to say with parents. Yeah. With parents it's really hard to say because I personally like if I were, you know, my favorite gland in the world is like the adrenal gland because I'm fascinated with it. I'm fascinated with cortisol production, I'm fascinated with sex hormones and how it impacts just performance and cognitive function. And I work with so many postpartum moms and just busy parents who who struggle to get not so much the quality of sleep, but really the, just even the no- number of sleep, right? The number of hours of sleep because yeah. of kids. Right. And it's hard to, you know, when you have younger kids, like really young toddlers, it's pretty much almost just nature <laughs> that you're going to be a little bit tired. Yeah. You're going to be a little bit fatigued. For like six years. Exactly. <laughs> Plus. Yeah. And so the best thing it's like to do is what you're doing and is can you fuel yourself yeah. properly in the times of stress? Can you focus on getting 10, 20 minutes of good exercise in on a daily basis? And we're right next to the hospital, so you're, you're going to hear. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you are in a clinical setting. <laughs> that's just the extra effect. <laughs> yeah, you'll add those in later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I usually can tell how busy Overlake Hospital is by the amount of... <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, that's the first one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so really in the times of stress, I always say like I was the healthiest when I was in medical school because in times of stress, I knew better than to go for pizza and alcohol and... Candy. I knew that in order for me to be this performance machine, yeah. mentally and physically, plus I climbed all through medical school, you know, on the weekends, I really had to fuel my body. And that served me really well even into parenthood when I decided that I'm going to stick to my eating habits. I'm going to stick with my exercise routine as much as I can, not in the same quantity, but enough to let my body know that things are staying, you know, things are staying the same. We're yeah. still in tip-top shape. And I see a lot of parents just kind of let that go. Yeah. And so when you're sleep-deprived, that puts a lot of stress on the body. I'm not really for biohacking sleep because it's the only time when your, your brain actually detoxes. Right. And so we do need a certain amount of hours to really go through that efficient cycle. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that may be more, maybe less. But um, anyway, so B12, really good for sleep. And, but you know, you bring up a really good point. I sometimes feel that in terms of like, should I take something even though I feel fine or I feel normal? Right. I once had a patient and her thyroid levels were like borderline low, but she's like, but I feel, I feel really good. I don't think I need anything. And, uh, but her concern was thyroid. And I said, you know, let's try because I really see need for improvement here. And she was, you know, complaining maybe like a little bit about weight or maybe a little bit about fatigue, but nothing like too big. Mm -hmm. I really had to dig for those things. And after we put her on a really low dose of a thyroid medication, 
she was amazed. She's like, mm-hmm. I did not know that that was my normal yeah. and that this is how I felt before. And so I think my recommendation is like to tell people not to settle for just feeling fine, right, or normal. Like you can push that a little bit. Yeah. Like the body's super resilient. Right. You just need to have the right tools and an expert kind of let you know what to look for. Yeah. Well, so. and I think most people, they don't they don't want to be just normal. They don't want to be just okay. You right. know, they want to do well. They want to thrive. They want to have enough energy to play with their kids and work a full day and go do something fun on the weekend rather than yeah. just like, I'm okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, we have a little bit of other values to go through, but your vitamin D is fine. If you're take, are you taking any vitamin D right now? I do take a vitamin D. How much do you take? I don't know. I take whatever is uh, uh, whatever the uh, I take. I take whatever the what's in the natural stacks vitamin D. Okay. I'll look at that. I'll look there right now. That'd be great. Just because the reason why I asked is because your vitamin D is in good levels right now, and I wouldn't necessarily want you to do any higher dosing ah. um so the low normal the low normal for vitamin d is 30 and the upper limit is 100 too low vitamin d so let's say even if you were at like 32 right i would consider definitely consider adding vitamin d into your mix because vitamin d it's a hormone it's really responsible for your mood for your immune system for other hormone function but too much of it can lead to kidney stones so right um we want to make sure that you're in the optimal range i take 5,000 ius a day okay more or less and it's got coconut oil in it okay so i would probably you know we're going into the winter season i think it's fine that's the thing too right yeah. like you and i live in seattle where right. we don't we're not going to have vitamin d from the sun nope until july nope and even as we speak it's getting right darker. i mean it's dark right now <laughs> it's you know the seattle the seattle the notorious Seattle weather has is upon us. But you yeah. say that, that I'm pretty much in a good spot. You're in a good spot. And going into the winter season, I think 5,000 IU daily is fine. And then spring and summer, you can probably just cut it to like even once or twice a week. Yeah, On cool. that, because you, you'll get plenty. And here's a little fun tip for you guys. You only really need 10 minutes of sun exposure without sunblock on your face and in your hands to get the adequate amounts of vitamin D for the day. So for those of you guys in the tropical climate, not Seattle... <laughs> Not yeah. Seattle, where we don't see sun until March. Um, you only really need, like, again, 10 minutes, no sunblock, and then you can put the sunblock on, both your hands and your face. Um, your blood sugar levels are looking great. So, you know, we test the blood, especially fasting blood sugar, to make sure that we, we don't have um, any signs of diabetes. So, cool. you're in the range. And it's a short, it's a really tight range. It's only, like, 4.8 to 5.6. Um, but as long as you're within within that, even if you were like at 5.5, it's not yet time to wave the red flag. Okay. Yeah. How often should you test your blood sugar levels or cholesterol? So once a year, unless, oh, okay. it, unless it's abnormal. If it comes back abnormal, then, you know, at least every six months. And it's been seven years for me. I mean, oh, like, look at you. I, mean, like, I have not, I mean, I have, I've never done this. I've never done blood work. Oh, this is okay. the first. I mean, this is all. This is the, the, that's why I'm looking at you like what? Because <laughs> I've never done this, and we're gonna talk about, yeah. you know, primary care and the difference between I think, Western medicine. I would not. We would not be able. We would not have the time to have this conversation if it was just no. a standard care doc. No, you would be out of here within the first five minutes. <laughs> right, and so that's that's one of the points that I want to make after we're done going through this stuff, but. 
Um, yeah, I've never, I've never done this. I've never done blood work before. Yeah, and it always amazes me because doctors usually don't really talk about blood work for their patients. I have had so many clients who come into me and they're like, "Can you help me interpret my results?" My doctor never went over them with right. me. And sure enough, like you can, you can tell as I go through them, I don't just look for highs and lows. Right. I'm actually seeing it's like where's a low normal, where's a high normal, and what's kind of in the middle. And right. even then, I only use, I use labs to simply guide my judgment yeah. and how you're feeling. And so the, um, the, the next kind of little bit is the thyroid antibodies. And usually primary care, they don't test for thyroid antibodies unless they suspect thyroid autoimmunity. I always test for thyroid antibodies, um, which can be, can, 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 can be a cause of like um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which mm. is where you immune cells attack your thyroid gland. Right. So some people come back with normal thyroid numbers, but they'll come back with abnormal thyroid antibodies. So can you imagine how many conventional doctors are missing this because they're not testing for yeah. the autoimmune component? And that's huge because conventional doctors, they only look at, most of the time, just at the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone. They're just looking at to see, is your thyroid getting stimulated huh. to release T4 to re- to get that convert to T3. They're not even looking at what's possibly your immune system got to do with your thyroid. Right. So you're doing great. Good. No Hashimoto's. <laughs> Good. Good to know. And um, you know the cortisol. I just I tested you for cortisol. Your cortisol levels in the morning. And classically, people who have low cortisol levels in the morning will feel fatigued. Mm-hmm. will feel not very well rested. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of in the middle. So you can technically, it's kind of like what you were saying. It's like, well, maybe I got some sleep or maybe it's because, you know, my toddler woke me up early. So you're kind of on the border. So would I recommend an adrenal support of some sort? Absolutely. At least first thing in the morning Yeah. with your, with your coffee and fat, Yeah. you know, to get you ready for the day because the adaptogenic herbs will also help to protect your adrenal glands from the negative side effects of coffee, which yeah. already the fat is doing. Right. Um, but what I, if I, if Sean, for example, came to me and he was concerned with energy levels throughout the day, I would do a four-point cortisol curve, which is four samples of uh, urine or salivary testing throughout the day, because cortisol has a beautiful curve which is high in the morning and it gradually decreases throughout the day. And so for somebody, let's say, with a primary concern for like fatigue, um, we want to make sure that they're getting proper amounts of cortisol produced throughout the day, not just in the morning. And so I just did a snapshot because I just want to see what your cortisol output is in the morning. Mm-hmm. But would I use this to, let's say, treat you for like a cortisol insufficiency? No, absolutely not. But your primary concern wasn't fatigue, not getting sick frequently. Like yeah. you're, it was, that wasn't it, but it was interesting, you know, f- to see. And cortisol is involved um, in regula- regulating blood sugar. It's also involved in regulating your immune system. So one of the reasons why I did order cortisol is because in cases of yeast overgrowth, I'm worried about low levels of cortisol. Because when you have low levels of cortisol, that means that um, you know your immune system can kind of go haywire, hmm. and so things can. I'm I'm sorry. In cases of high cortisol levels, so I'm concerned about high cortisol levels when your 
when cortisol levels are high, it suppresses the immune system. Right. So when it's a, when it um, suppresses the immune system, then I'm worried about things like, um, you know, like skin eruptions because your body's not able to deal as much with like bacterial and infection. Let's say when when we get it or like yeast overgrowth, but mm-hmm. your cortisol levels are looking yeah, fine. Cortisol always uh, you know always gets a bad rap, right? Yeah. It's like oh, you've got high cortisol levels. You must be st- a stressed out wreck. Yeah. You know, nervous yeah. nervous Nelly. Yeah. Um, but it has a function. <laughs> oh, it has so many. I feel like, yeah, it gets such a bad rap. Like cortisol gets produced by adrenal glands. It is our, it is known as our fight or flight hormone. It's what gets you perky for the day, which yeah. is why it's supposed to be high in the morning. And then, um, but it also regulates your blood sugar, you know, which is why your blood sugar should be a little bit higher in the morning to mm-hmm. get you ready. But it also is an immune modulator. So, you know, you can have... You know, low. If you have too low cortisol levels, you know you might have autoimmunity symptoms because there's nothing to suppress the immune function. But if you have too high levels of immunity, then you um, can, you know, actually like suppress it so much that you get sick frequently. So mm-hmm. like, think about high stress, high cortisol, getting sick frequently. Well, it's because your immune system is suppressed. Yeah, you're fried. Yeah. Yeah. I can give. Can I share a personal example? Yeah. So last spring, I faced my first encounter with autoimmunity, rheumatoid arthritis. Ah. So I came to really understand cortisol at that point because what was happening, so my personal life, I was going through a lot of stress. Like my child was not sleeping. Um, It was a cold winter in Seattle. I was writing my first book and getting it published and I had, I was busy clinical practice so low sleep high performance high cortisol yeah my immune system was suppressed so I did not have any signs of autoimmunity guess what after I went on a vacation I rested I went from being high cortisol to super low cortisol <laughs> and I got autoimmune condition huh I got autoimmune from the symptoms swing from the swing wow yeah so all of a sudden these dormant symptoms this, my immune system was almost dormant because cortisol was suppressing it. Huh. And then the second that I went on, on to the other, the, the, the um, just kind of swung the pendulum to the other extreme of being super low, uh-huh. because I think what happened is prolonged stress tapped out my adrenals, which means that I could never, no longer even produce the high amounts of cortisol, which is adrenal insufficiency. Huh. And so that caused you know the immune system to kind of take advantage of the opportunity and so go haywire. And it manifested with arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis. What were the, what were the symptoms? Um, severe joint like pain. Sore hands, oh, sore fingers. Awful. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I could. I got to the point where I was blaming the you know the onesies with all the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. I was in such denial. It's the buttons. It's the buttons. <laughs> I was in such. Den- I was like, nobody wants to hear that they have autoimmune. Yeah. And I was in such denial that I had rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, here I am doing everything, my diet, my exercise, I'm right. balancing my hormones. How could I get rheumatoid arthritis? Right. But I, it was such a beautiful lesson, a blessing in disguise, because I really understood just the power of cortisol as an immune modulator. Right. And just the importance to further practice what I preach and yeah. really focus on my diet. Yeah. You know, but I was just like, it's got to be those buttons, because there's like 20 of them. <laughs> You know, those, those onesies will get you. <laughs> um, and so we only have just a couple more values. And so we're kind of further looking at 
ferritin, which is the storage form of iron. So you have iron and it's floating around in your blood. Mm -hmm. But it also has a storage value, which is in the ferritin. So we worry about like iron deficiency anemia when this value really falls below like 30 to 40. Hmm. We start to worry about iron reserves. You're clearly, we don't have to even worry about that. You're right in the middle. It's a beautiful number that, you know, the... 30 is kind of the cutoff, and 40 is the upper limit. Above 40, we're starting to... 400. 400. Did I say 40? Yeah. Yeah, so 400 is the limit. So if ferritin levels go above 400, we worry about inflammation and liver damage. And a a condition called hemochromatosis, which is where genetically your body stores higher levels of iron than you should. Hmm. But nothing to worry about there. And then finally, last value is T3. So... In the beginning, we had TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone, and then that helps the thyroid produce T4. And then T4, your body doesn't know what to do with T4, but your body needs T3. So T4 gets converted to T3, and your levels are perfect. So usually I like it to be around 3.3, but you're at 3.2, which is fine. And the range there is two two point oh to four point four exactly. So I'm like yeah. So again, for those of you guys listening, if you're pulling up your labs or if you have a chance to pull up your labs, if your thyroid is at like your if your T three T three free, which is the bioavailable hormone thyroid hormone, if it's at like two point five or lower or even between two point five and three. Talk to your healthcare provider, especially if you're having symptoms of like hypothyroid, like hair falling out, dry skin, inability to lose weight, trouble sleeping, um, frequent colds. Like your thyroid is your number one furnace. It regulates your metabolism and all of the cellular processes. So, you know, if your thyroid is off, chances are your other hormones are off. So it's a really important number. Again, if like your values are between 2.5 and 3 or 2.5 and below, it's time for a little thyroid support. And that's it. That's cool. That's so cool. I, I think that the title of this podcast should be how to read your how to read your blood tests. Yeah. Because because this this recording will act as a resource for people who are looking at yeah looking at their blood work yeah that, that, that their doctor didn't go over with them yeah um there's and and I you know the catalyst for me to do this was a because. I've never done it before, yeah. and I don't know what my baseline is. Yeah. All I just know is how I feel, yeah. and and so that coupled with, you know, um, uh, the skin the skin issue on my face, and the need for uh, for addressing that, and now understanding, okay, it is high. There's a lot yeah. of there's there's high candida in my gut, and so now we need to test. The test stool. the stools to figure out whether it is there or if it's just some sort of sort some sort of outbreak on my face for exactly. whatever reason. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many things to think about. Yeah. It well let's let's change let's change the trajectory a little bit. Okay. Um, because I think what we just did right there is something that everybody should do. It's something that we should all we should all take medicine into our own hands and be proactive about it. Um, pun intended. Proactive health. <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is, is that people don't have access to this level of care. 
right. this level of conversation, con- consultant, consulting, um, without bashing the medical system. Absolutely. Because we don't, that's not necessarily nope. what we want to do. Nope. We can just highlight what, do, let me ask you this. Does, does naturopathic medicine serve that need that people don't have? Or is it something that you do differently? I think it's both. I think people are craving that naturopathic approach because unfortunately in conventional medicine, you don't have time to spend an hour, hour and a half with patients to talk about their labs, to talk about their their pain points and to be the health coach and the ambassador for your patient. That's been taken out you know, predominantly by insurance companies, yeah. which guide doctors thinking based on diagnosis codes and based on the time that a doctor can spend with a patient. So I think fundamentally people are looking for more answers for why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, but they're also looking for somebody who can be a health advocate for them. Right. And, and, and to also, you know, fundamentally, at the core, there is a principle in naturopathic medicine, which is doctor as teacher. And there's a whole movement happening where, um, you know, the person is the doctor of the future, not the doctor, right? right. Because we have, we have the tendency of put the doctor kind of higher up and that they're the ones who have all this knowledge. But, you know, that slowly those barriers to knowledge are crumbling down. Yeah. And so I sometimes see my role is actually to help people people navigate of what's available, what tools are available online so they can what what labs can they go to and order the same test that I'm ordering and how can they, you know, how can they go outside of the insurance model to get the care that they need because you know, going against the conventional medicine or going against the insurance companies, that's not the answer. Yeah. And I always say actually and I support a lot of my conventional medical doctors because I know the challenges that they're facing it's not their fault right it's the whole system and so whenever I hear people complain about oh you know I went to my MD and they only did this and I go you know I understand that they have blind spots but they also are facing kind of a Goliath yeah at hand and they're doing the best with what they have I'm doing the best with what I have because that's the education that I went to my education you know from Bastyr which is one of the best naturopathic schools in the world, it really prepared me to face simple cases and difficult cases and cases where people have been through, you know, three, four, five different providers, if not more. So, but I'm equipped with a fundamental understanding of physiology and also understanding that if a lab test comes back normal, it doesn't mean that things are normal because those values were created by somebody a long time ago. And why should yeah. we still continue to follow that? Right. You know? But I'm I, I prefer to be a team player and not necessarily prefer, you know, one profession over the other. Um, I always like for people to have a primary care doctor on board. You know, but we have a we have a deficit in primary care physicians um, in this country. And, you know, I get a lot of cases where even people are coming in with um, already a diagnosis by an endocrinologist or a rheumatologist, and I like to be a team player. I know that, you know, they're limited in their skill set, and I know where I shine. So this thorough level of let's have a conversation, let's talk about what's happening, let's see how we we can optimize and improve, not just focusing on deficiencies, you know, that's where naturopathic 
medicine really thrives in is not just chasing symptoms and highs and lows, but really looking at the whole person, focusing on the education component, and really um, emphasizing that the body is really resilient and we just gotta tone the systems up. Yeah. You know, I heard somewhere that in a conventional doctorate that uh, for, for uh, to get your MD, there's something like a day and a half of nutrition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I can't believe that. I yeah. cannot believe that. But yeah. <laughs> which is why it's not their first line of treatment. It's not. It's it. It doesn't enter into the conversation. Right. And I'm thinking about my parents who yeah. have gone to the same doctor, who's a sports medicine doctor, for years and years and years, and they never talk about their food and both their diet. Both of my folks are pre-diabetic. And they have misconceptions about what's healthy and what's not. And just because it's organic doesn't mean it's the right food for you. Yeah. Um, and and it's a, I think that a lot of people, and we're preaching to the choir because the people that are listening right now are, are informed. Right. H- however, when, when nutrition is not like the first thing you right. talk about then then we're masking symptoms Absolutely. and we're prescribing stuff to treat a symptom and not really looking at the root cause. Right. Right. And, and so many times, like, we kind of live in a bubble in the Pacific Northwest and a lot of times people are already doing, like, Orange Theory five days a week or, you know, Pure Bar or they belong to a fancy gym and are eating or hiking keto. Or, or hiking, right, we've got beautiful hiking here. You know, so people here are really also well-informed and are usually following dietary guidelines. So when something goes wrong, I still look at the diet because what what is a normal for somebody may not be normal for me, for my medical eye, right? And so even though, like, even with you, right, what was the first thing I asked? I was like, how's your diet? Yeah. Because even though I know that you're well-informed and I know that you know what's the best diet out there, you know, I still wanted to probe you and see what is normal for you. Right. Right. And so like a lot of times I'll get clients and whatever issue it is, whether it's low libido or like skin or gut health, it's like, I want to see how you're eating. I want to see how you're feeling. I want to see what the timing of that is because guess what? Like if somebody comes in and they're fatigued and they're on a keto diet and their cortisol is super low, that might not be the best diet for them. Right. Because you need carbohydrates at that point to produce, to get your blood sugar levels up so that your adrenal glands can rest and recuperate so they can get back get back into producing cortisol. But so fundamentally, we gotta start with nutrition, with movement, and with stress management. Yeah, Those are the three things at the core of our existence that really impact our overall health. You know, my mom is actually a family physician, and I had a chance to take a look at her charts, and I go, Mom, I didn't know that you were like on four different medications. and you know, she's like, well, it's normal. You know, I have a symptom, I have a pill. I have a symptom, I have a pill. And I go, mom, like, I can help you get your blood pressure under control. Like, you just gotta, like, you just gotta, you have to trust me. And she goes, no, 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 no. I really like my medication. Yeah. And I go, well, talk to me about your stress. And she goes, no, my blood pressure is not related to my stress. And that <laughs> was, and you can tell, you can, you know, imagine family dinners. 
with a mom who's an MD sure. and me as a naturopathic physician. Right. You know, but there are times where we come together and we agree on things, obviously. Yeah. Um, like my mom, she has a huge herbal background. And so she, you know, we can nerd out on, on herbs. But fundamentally, there's sometimes a discord. And what I'm really glad that you brought up the the the, the topic of you know that nutrition is not the first place where doctors typically start and it's because of a limited training right I have like 20 plus years of nutrition experience because I was also a semi-professional athlete <laughs> and my coaches forced me to go see a nutritionist right you know because I clearly they saw my performance they were like you're not eating well and when they're and it's interesting how in the professional field they're like when you're not performing well we got to focus on your diet right well we got to take that and I always say like Performance isn't about athletes. Performance, every day you're a performer. Right. Whether you're a parent or an employee or an owner of a company, or if you are an athlete, everybody's performing to a certain level. And, you know, you got to look at your building blocks like your nutrition, first and foremost. Yeah. What's happening there. Talk to us about cravings. Oh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> glad, that you, I'm glad that you noticed that even with the dietary change, how your cravings subsided they did honestly and I you know I I've I've been eating in an intermittent fasting I've been eating in a window for years right like it's been probably two or three years that I've been eating between the hours of two till nine or ten o'clock at night yeah and you know I'm 80 20 keto I can tell when I'm in ketosis I can tell the way my yeah. body feels and I've gone through spells where I'm I'm testing ketones you know yeah. I'm doing a, a pin prick and stuff like that yeah but I slip you know yeah I, uh, Halloween uh, comes with candy at my house and you and, have kids <laughs> and I have kids and my wife loves candy and I noticed that in the first three days where it's like, no, I really need, I really want to get this a good shot. I want to see if this clears up my skin. I'm going to be really, 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 really diligent about the food I take in. So it's going to be, pro, it's going to be protein and vegetables. And, and the first day or two, it was like, I can do this. And then day three or four, I was like, this sucks. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to have some peanut butter. I yeah. just want to, I need to have a, something. And then... A few days later, it was like, oh, I don't, yeah. I don't think about it as much. It's not, it's not, it's not like ringing in my ears right. to, to to go eat, you know, um, to go eat a spoonful of peanut butter. You know, I slipped last last night or the night before and had some candy, but but I there it's this it's this mentality around what you do habitually, what your yeah. sort of routines are with food, but yeah, the cravings. It really was a roller coaster for this first couple of days, and now it's like really leveled out. Yeah. So I wrote the book Crave Reset with the intention of helping people with their their sugar cravings, their processed you know carbohydrates and fats cravings, because I personally battled with that, you know, with that addiction kind of quote unquote. And so I was fascinated with cravings because I was like, what is it? Like, what is behind that craving? And so I, I put on my naturopathic hat. And I was like, let's look at all of the systems and they, how they impact our, our cravings for foods. And sure enough, like I went down the rabbit hole of mm. cravings and what influences them. And of course, the number one place I started was with the brain. And that was um, the neurotransmitters, which is, you know, the reasons why we crave things is because those things will give us pleasure. Right. We're pain and pleasure motivated, right? We want to avoid pain and we seek pleasure. That's just our primal reflex. Sure. That's how we're pre-programmed. 
And so the reason why we have actually serotonin and dopamine is it serves a protective mechanism. You know, it's a pleasure driving pathway, serotonin and dopamine. And they work, they're a dynamic duo. So serotonin, you know, you eat a sugary food or you eat a starchy food. Well, you have a surge of serotonin, which is the pleasure-seeking neurotransmitter. You feel good. And then dopamine comes across, which is another neurotransmitter, and it seals the deal. It's like, this is good, keep doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I wrote the book, I'm like, whether it's sex, gambling, or food, I'm like, you're feeling the same pathways. There's really only a few of them in our brain. Right. And someone asked me about alcohol and how it's supposed to be like GABA producing, but in the end, you're still fueling serotonin and dopamine, which is why those addictions can be hard to kick. But, you know, the more research I came across, and it's, you know, people know this, that sugar is linked to like even drug addiction, right? Because of the the same surge of serotonin that it can create and how going off of a sugar addiction can be similar to going off of a drug addiction, the headaches, the body aches, the fatigue, irritability, all those things. And I studied drug addiction, you know, back when I was still in medical school and I was fascinated how at that time I was even trying to really change my diet and go more into ketosis and that meant getting rid of some of the carbs Mm -hmm. and there's this attachment to carbs and I was just fascinated with it and so sure enough it's like well you get you do get pleasure from eating those things and that pleasure is motive is you know but it's encouraged by serotonin and dopamine and then of course I know too that like when there's a hormone imbalance and you know in, in your case it wasn't necessarily the the case but you know a lot of times when people have like a thyroid or adrenal dysfunction they'll tend to crave salty, crunchy, or sweet things. Hmm. So t- so if you think about it, like when you're sleep deprived, you crave sugar, mm-hmm. right? And it's because of cortisol. If your cortisol levels are low and you can't bring up those blood sugar levels yourself, yeah. you're going to reach for something that has sugar in it. Yeah. And so that was one of the things that I also addressed in the book is make sure that you're working on the sleep. Make sure that you're working on the work-life balance, which doesn't really exist, but do the best you can work on a stress management, go around the block, you know, don't get, let that impulsivity get in the way where like, I feel tired, I'm angry, cookie, you know, (laughs) I am depressed, candy, you know, that's what happens for a lot of people is that they come home, they had a stressful day, it's like a glass of wine, and then, oh, there's the, the chocolate chips, you know, and so it's like, it takes awareness, and it takes time to kind of break those habits, but in your case in particular, let's, you know, dive into the gut health, Yeah, which is, one of the reasons why you were craving certain carbohydrates or the processed foods was because the food that we eat, it promotes certain bacteria growth and yeast. And then those organisms, they produce chemicals and hormones and different messengers so that you continue to eat those things because their survival is at stake. Right. And in my book, um, in the gut health section, I actually talk about the research that was done that identified the different types of bacteria that tend to grow with different foods and then the cravings that are associated. Huh. Yeah. Can you give us an example? You know, I don't remember. The bacteria was very highly specific. I don't remember. Lactobacilli 1459 Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, fortunately, lactobacilli, it's a pretty benign. Okay. It's a, you know, like they didn't do, it's not a, none of the ones that we can see like in a probiotic, for example, oh, but it's okay. highly specific bacteria that um, we can look for in a gut test, but you know, they have crazy names. I don't remember all of them, but there's like four or five that were known to, that were known to grow with higher carbohydrate intake and yeah. then causing further 
desire to consume those foods. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a topic that keeps coming up in, in, in my circle with performance is like the gut brain connection. You know? Yeah. And what I accidentally th- called it the gut brain barrier. <laughs> the other day it was a long, it was a long day. I think it was like I saw my last patient on a Friday night. Gut brain barrier. <laughs> you huh. might as well call it that because it's such a close connection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, your personality is dictated by what's in your gut and yeah. your ability to think, you know, the second brain in your tummy. Yeah. And if the cooties in your tummy are saying, I'm, I need more friends. Right. I need sugar. Fucking get a Snickers right now or <laughs> yeah. we're going to freak out. You're going to listen to You're it. Listen. Right. Yeah. And it takes, well, walk us through what, what, cause I have had in the last week and a half, you know, um, I've had, my own experience in uh, in resetting a craving, and right. and so besides doing what I did, which is like, okay, I'm gonna strip down to just the bare bones. I'm gonna eat very simply, just a couple of foods for a, for a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, not everybody can do that. So what are some things that people can do to try to begin to reset cravings or to look at cravings or just even just like explore it a little bit? So I have a number of recommendations. So number one is just cut the junk out. So cut the processed foods. So whether it's like the pizza, the alcohol, um, the processed sugar. What about like lunch meat or stuff like that? That, So that's actually fine. I would cut that out for other reasons. Like if somebody has like high inflammation in their body, like joint pain or um, something like that. But, you know, lunch meat compared to like a good dose of sugar or pizza right. is nothing. It's actually a good, good source of protein, you know, but to people who tend to have higher higher inflammation in the body because of the nitrates right. in the deli meat, they that can inflame them a little right. bit. And you can get nitrate-free. Yeah, you, you can. Know, yes, exactly. Yeah. But, you're, but I guess when I hear like processed foods, I, I mean so anything I, that comes in a bag. So processed carbohydrates is what I'm really concerned about. So chips, fried mm. food, um, you know, sugar, candy, scones, bread, things like that. So actually, if you look at my like Crave Reset Cleanse, I encourage people to have, like, you can have whole grains. I'm not opposed to, unless they upset your stomach, Yeah. but you can have those things because they have a different impact on your blood sugar than if you like add coffee to your sugar or if you have a cookie, for example, right? Right. And so I basically, when I say processed foods, it's like what I mentioned is like the pasta and the bread and the processed grains, highly modified foods. And packaged foods can be good foods. Like, Kale chips, you know, they're packaged, but right. it's kale chips. You know, they're dehydrated leaves right. <laughs> sprinkled with nutritional yeast. Like, you can't really... Right. That stuff you can have, you know, but people get sick of me telling them to eat kale chips because they, you know, <laughs> they, eat, they eat them all the time. Yeah. Maybe not in other parts of the country, but, um, you know, making sure that some people who are impulsive eaters, they don't do well with intermittent fasting mm. or going without food for long periods of time because their blood sugar is super sensitive. And so if I know that that about a person, I recommend that maybe they fuel every two, three hours, that they have like a, a protein snack or a healthy fat snack. Like, like what? Like nuts, for example, or avocado and like a brown rice cracker. What or, kind of nuts? Uh, so cashews, almonds, walnuts, uh, pistachios. Not so much peanuts. 
Not so much peanuts because peanuts tend to be inflammatory. Yeah, and they're usually contaminated with mold, so I avoid oh. peanuts. Okay. Yeah, and so a lot of times people are sensitive, sometimes not even to the peanut, but to the mold. Huh, okay. What happens with nuts is that, and I always recommend raw nuts over roasted nuts. Right. If you're going to have roasted, make them at home. But the thing is that a lot of manufacturers, when the nuts start to go bad, they roast them to kind of pause the time, right? Sure. So to, to kill off anything, but you can't really kill off the mold. Right. It's there. It's pretty sturdy. And so that's why I recommend not getting the roasted nuts, but doing more of the raw nuts. And then good source of protein. Sure, deli meat. Like, I'm guilty. Like, if I'm running low on energy and I'm just swinging by the store and deli meat is like the first thing just the sodium can be high yeah so just watch watch that um but like chicken breast um you know just cut up some steak and take it with you yeah some leftovers from the night before that's what I've been doing um some good protein bars like primal kitchen or or bulletproof or two of my favorite or like rx bars Uh uh-huh you know I'm not opposed for having a little bit of dried fruit like dates or goji berries and the reason why is because even dried fruit is not like, you can't compare it to like sugar per se because it has a lot of fiber and it has some, yeah. you know, some even like things like potassium, like these have good amounts of potassium in them and other minerals. And so it still ends up being a better choice and a good alternative for people who have like sugar cravings. So yeah. eliminate the junk, focus on having snacks that are high in fat and high in protein and lower on the carbohydrates. Um, I don't recommend eating carbs alone because that like works. by yourself. By yourself, like like you know. Well, like, I'm in a room. Um, by, like if I'm gonna eat, sorry, I couldn't resist. Don't eat. Don't don't eat. Don't, don't go in a room by yourself and eat carbs. I would be I would be concerned about something else at that point. Um, why why don't why don't we want carbs just on on by themselves? So when you eat carbs by themselves, it creates a bigger increase in blood sugar levels. And so, and then, and it also creates a bigger surge in serotonin. And that's what I talked about is that the pleasure that we seek is when we eat carbs that creates a surge in serotonin and that perpetuates the cycle of craving carbs. Ah. But when we pair carbs with like a fat or a protein, it almost offsets that. It's slower to digest. You're less likely to crash. So you're less likely, you're going to feel more full when you combine it with a fat or a protein because carbs get digested super quickly and fat and protein takes longer time to digest. And so one, you're, you're, you're not experiencing that spike in the blood sugar, you're more feeling more full and satisfied. And two, you're not creating a huge surge in serotonin. And that surge in serotonin is what like creates that connection addictive, for that craving. For that craving. behavior. Right. Exactly, I mean, how else do we know that when I feel bad and I eat chocolate, I feel great. Yeah. <laughs> and so for every time you feel bad, whether it's the alcohol, the chocolate, or the cookie, that is what really fuels its serotonin. Yeah. What are some non-dietary things that people can do besides like burpees and, uh, I mean, what is so there? Extra, wait, so yeah. you're talking about like exercise, yeah. Yeah, alternatives to like, yeah. like I, I really want this chocolate, but I should really just do something else to, 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 to I don't So know. two things. I don't think it's abnormal to crave something sweet, right? But I think we need to have healthier alternatives. So even in my book, I have tons of recipes for like, hey, if you're craving this, make a you know either buy some like raw cacao truffle bottles or something that have like raw cacao coconut oil some nut butter like a really healthy source of sweet and nutrition in it combined so because i'm not like anti 
anything sweet. I've got a huge sweet tooth, so Crave Reset was mostly like my saving grace. You, know? <laughs> you, like, wrote, it, how do you wrote it for yourself? <laughs> I really did. I wrote a book that I would read. Um, and so, but I'm also, sometimes people eat out of boredom or when they're yeah. stressed right. or when, you know, a lot of desk jobs and to, just to kind of get you through the next hour. But what I normally recommend is go around a block, get some fresh air. You got to just reset whatever you're like staring at at the moment mm-hmm. and then always have something hand like on hand like whether it's a protein bar or like you know a handful of nuts or um something sweet and savory that you bought that is healthier you made at home i'm a huge proponent of just making our treats at home because it's so easy yeah throw nuts on some dates in a food processor there you got a lara bar yeah right you know? right right so that's what i would recommend but i think movement is huge I think when when you reach for food to get yourself into a different emotional state, there's a much more efficient and effective way of doing that. Yeah. And that is moving your body. Yeah. Moving your body, whether it's yoga, whether it's walking up and down the stairs, whether it's just sitting in Shavasana or laying in Shavasana on a yoga mat. Yeah. You know, just getting yourself into a different state and just not, you know, eating for the emotion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so I, and, many of us do. Well, and I talk about, too, like, some people are just naturally low in serotonin and in dopamine and are stressed out. So that's why I came out with a product, the Crave Reset, because that helps people to balance their neurotransmitter levels. So if somebody's sleep-deprived, somebody's tired, and their neurotransmitters are tanked, and, you know, their cortisol levels are not optimal, and they're feeling like they are craving those foods or those beverages that they know are not optimal for them. That's why I came out with a product, you know, is just to help people that if you take the, this on an empty stomach, it will help you naturally bring your, those levels up mm-hmm. um, so that you don't have to go on like an antidepressant or an SSRI yeah. to manage you, you know, those symptoms. Um, even for binge eating, it can be really helpful yeah. know, just to help to balance, balance that neurochemical disorder. So um, some things that people are wondering, um, 5-HTP, you know, you can find it in any any store, really. Um, precursor for serotonin and L-tyrosine is a precursor for dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my product, it also has some B vitamins and rhodiola to help with the stress component mm-hmm. of it. So from, you know, so there's different ways to tackle cravings. The dietary, like we talked about, the body movement, right, right to kind of get that endorphin rush a little bit, right. to help your body reset, and then supplements, yeah. nutraceuticals. One thing that I that I've been I've done at the, uh, just this last week uh-huh. is um, I'll do uh, I'll do a big giant glass of ice water. Yeah. I'll get a big glass yeah. of ice water, bunch of ice in it, and then I'll just like go over and go into a deep squat position. Nice. In the kitchen. Yeah. Just because it's not a position. Yeah. It's a posi- It's a posture that we all need more yeah. of hip opening. Yeah. And we just don't do it. And the combination of a cold holding a cold glass of water <laughs> and being in a like a deep squat is like wait what was i what, what was i doing what before? did i want before <laughs> what am i doing now it just it just interrupts that that pattern yeah um in the evening time so you bring up a really excellent point and that is just interrupting the typical behavior so i went through this myself usually when i would put my son to bed the first thing I would want to go do is check my emails, get a snack, flop myself on the couch. You know, I never phased that as a parent, you know, like, I mean, obviously when I became a parent, I phased that, but before then I had such good routine with things, you know, 
and I never had to be motivated to exercise or go for a walk or whatever. But when you become a parent, I mean, it just like takes your world to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Like you're maxing out every single day. And so, but I started to notice that like when I put my son to bed, I purposely stay on, you know, the, the second floor of our house and I go take a, I do a conscious shower. <laughs> so I do hot and cold three times or if I'll sit in the sauna and do like a cold plunge in the bathtub. So that automatically, like, am I concerned about getting a snack? No. Mm-hmm. You know, do I feel more awake? Absolutely. And then um, after I do the contrast hydrotherapy, I then go downstairs and I do a sequence of yoga <laughs> and 10 minutes of meditation. And then if I want to check email one last time or if I want to grab a snack, I allow myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm in a, such a different state. Yeah. I, I have such a different intention about checking the email or my food and I end up and 100% of the time I usually reach for a different food or I don't even check the email and I just turn <laughs> the book yeah. and that's what happens when you intervene and I'm all for like examining people's behaviors and being like boom pause right there yeah. go do something else right you know and I teach a lot of my clients how like when the kids go to bed or you know when you come home like change up your routine yeah I mean if you're doing the routine and you're in spectacular health it's working for you but right most of the time when you're sitting in the seat yeah <laughs> in my office things are not optimal <laughs> right right check your Netflix consumption yeah yeah for sure it's it's so it's so refreshing because it you know especially in my world of, yeah. of optimal performance there's so many things we can think about and the one thing that we all do every day is eat. Yeah. And how we can rethink what we're eating and how we're eating. And there is no cure-all. No. Like, keto may not work for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. It may not be optimal for you. And and doing this level of, of conversation, this, like, looking at the blood work and going through the blood work and having a, a holistic picture and um, and making determinations to activate on is just such an uncommon, such an uncommon yeah. thing. Um, I wanted to ask you about, and again, I don't want to pick on, on big brother, but I do. <laughs> um, it's fine. They can take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Uh, I was looking at, I was looking at an alternative to insurance. Oh yeah. Are you familiar with, um, uh, health sharing? Yes. So Liberty. Yes. Was one is one of the ones I'm familiar with. So, I just signed up for it. Cool. I'm gonna drop my insurance. Yeah. And starting December first, I'm going to my 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 whole family and I are gonna be on Liberty HealthShare. Right. Yeah. Do, so just for everybody listening, so Liberty HealthShare is basically it's it's the same theory of insurance. You put money into a kitty, and you don't. Um, you put money into a monthly payment into a into a pot of money, and then in this in, with Liberty HealthShare, if somebody needs a service, they'll pull from that pot. Yeah. If you are like me, like my family, like we were paying, we are paying, like six hundred and eighty dollars yeah. a month. Yeah, for things that you don't even use. For things we don't use, and of course we need um, we need coverage for Absolutely. a car accident or a broken bone or emergency this is what you really need insurance for exactly that's what you need insurance for so but this the amount that I'm paying mm-hmm. that's that is going to go up next year 
it, that I don't use and I can't see the doctors I want to see. So mm-hmm. the alternative for, for my family and I, which we've committed to, is this Liberty Health Share, where th- it's going to cost about $300 less. Mm-hmm. And I can go to any doctor mm-hmm. as long as I, you know, I attest like I'm not a tobacco user. Um, I don't do skydiving every weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a dangerous person. You know, we live a healthy yeah. lifestyle. And um, so that if I need something or my children need something in six months, if we need to do a, a, a surgery or something like that, right. we can pull from that up to a million dollars for the year. Great. And and to me, it makes a ton of sense. And I and I was wondering if you have any experience with that that framework. Well, you know what's interesting is that I've actually been contemplating about switching my family to that healthcare insurance yeah um, model because I I am seeing a lot of naturopathic doctors and alternative health healthcare providers educating their clients about this alternative way of um, alternative healthcare model right, right. insurance. And I personally like, I think it's great. And something that came up was that that's actually encouraging people to be healthy. Exactly. Because they're not going to accept you if you are diabetic and you are not doing something to take care of your health. Right. They want to make sure that one, you cut out the crap like the tobacco, right? That Because it predisposes you to so many other conditions that they want to make sure that you don't have any underlying um, disorders that can be, they're totally preventable. Right? And so that it's encouraging people to make sure that, one, that they seek to be optimally healthy. Right. So that in the end, they only need insurance right. when, like you and I are having a conversation, things happen, you have a skin breakout, you know, like for whatever reason, like you had too much pizza yeah. <laughs> or whatever. And so, but that's the time to go see a provider or right. you're like feeling off and maybe your hormones are off and you want to see an alternative healthcare provider, not somebody who's going to tell you your labs are fine, you're be on your way. Right. And I totally support that that model. The thing that's hard, I think, is that a lot of people are using insurance by their employers. Right. And so that's where it gets challenging is that I frequently hear people saying, why do I need you know any other insurance if my employer will cover that? But then they're frustrated is that that insurance doesn't really cover. Right whatever service they need and they're forced to pay out of pocket right so but I think I mean we're living in a time and an age where there's so many people who are self-employed right who have to pay for their insurance out of pocket you know entrepreneurs are you know it's an all-time high as a profession and so they got to pay for their insurance you know until they get their commercial you know insurance or something else but I'm really seeing a trend more for like health benefits like HSA FSA, which I think is great when a company can set aside money for their employees to to use, um, you know, and and you get some, um, ta- it's like, you know, doesn't apply for taxes and stuff like that. So that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think for overall, if we're thinking about a sustainable healthcare model where you can choose which provider you want to go to rather than your insurance company telling you which provider you should go to, where you, where an like an insurance company that will support you on your journey to better health rather than wait for you to flop on the floor before they do anything about it that's liberty like liberty healthcare is a great way to go and yeah. as you're talking about it, i was actually thinking about december i'm like i think i should call them yeah <laughs> and it, talk to them there every every time you call there's somebody to pick up and they yeah. you know and they're nice they're nice <laughs> and they're like do you have any other questions 
I got a follow up call. Like you know, I don't usually answer the phone if I don't know the number, but I did once, and I and I was like, you know, so somebody that was like, hey, I saw that you guys submitted um, some questions on our contact yeah. form. You know, is there anything we can write? And they say a thousand times, we are not insurance. We are yeah. an insurance alternative. Exactly. It's also founded by the Mennonite Church. Yeah. Which is neither here nor there, you know? <laughs> it is what it is. Like, yeah. the Mennonites figured this thing out in the, in yeah. the mid-80s. Yeah. That they could use their collective funds to support each other. Yeah. It's, it's it, it, I don't know, it, it makes so much sense to me. Well, yeah. and it ends up being community. Right. Community involvement and actually supporting each other. Like, hey, buddy, you got to, like, pick up the slack and you got to, like, make sure that you're staying healthy. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really, again, like, you, the when it comes to, okay, so health is your number one asset. I don't care who you are, like, what position you have in this world, but if you're not healthy and if you're stressed out of your mind and if you're not, if you can't find joy in life, you know, like, like why live, right? Yeah. I mean, why, really? And so being healthy has such... You know, there's such benefits to being healthy, to staying healthy. And what you want to have on board is a, a team of, whether it's healthcare providers or coaches or anybody else who's involved in your area that can optimize your mental, your physical performance. But not just a team who's going to wait for you to f- be really ill. Right. You know, to, um, to do something about it. Right. You know, it's like, I don't need for you to walk in and have a diagnosis code in order for me to treat you. Yeah. And that's the thing. Or for your labs to be totally abnormal, it's like let's nip it in the butt. Yeah. Before it becomes that. Well, I'm I'm pretty cynical about stuff. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that the government wants us to be that healthy. Oh yeah. I don't necessarily think that the CDC has our necessarily the best our best interests at heart. You know, I've uh, I, I I think I know too much. I read I read too much, and I just try to I try to. I try to be self-sufficient, you know. I try to, um, and I, and I, because I know you, and I, and I know your husband. I know that that you guys are are substantial people that take control of your lives, and not everybody does. And there are ways, you know. If you're listening to this podcast, you're interested in your own health and your own performance. Yeah. And I think that the the uh, the baby boomer generation that turned their nose up at naturopathic yeah. doctors yeah. it's going away totally. because th- baby boomers are sick yep they're they're unhealthy and they're stressed and they're overweight and they're going to be a i mean it just is what it is they're going to be a massive burden on the economy diabetes exactly. alone is going to just cripple right. the economy and so I think that people are beginning to to make the power of the internet where you can figure out an answer to a thing really quickly, but that's not going to help you necessarily read through or make sense of your blood work. Yeah. You know, you can figure out, okay, I might have this going on. Yeah. Um, but but if I go to my doctor and say, hey, I think I want my blood work, and you do it, and they yeah. get it done, and they say it looks good. You look in normal range. Your cholesterol is really high. Right. All here's some Lipitor. Exactly. You know, good luck. Yeah. You know, move yeah. more. It's like that's just it's so insufficient. Yeah. And and so, um, I'm curious where you think like the 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 greatest advantage of, um, call it integrated health, call it naturopathic medicine. Like, where where do you think that it makes the most difference in people's lives? That's a great question. 
I think when people are tired of not finding the answers to their current health concerns or issues, or when they are not necessarily waiting for things to get bad, are looking to get that foundational work up and yep. to continue to improve on what is, I think naturopathic medicine really is great for that. I think naturopathic medicine predominantly is for disease prevention. Yeah. And that's what we really preach is that natural medicine and naturopathic medicine in particular is all about how can we prevent you from getting ill? What can you do on a daily basis to support your body, to support your immune system, your cognitive, you know, cognitive function, your hormone health? We don't want to see all those things decline and then do something about it. We want to prevent those things from happening. And so for people who are want to be in control of their health, who want to maintain a healthy life, you know, naturopathic medicine is great. It's also exceptionally good for chronic conditions that are not responding yeah. in conventional medical system. Right. And it's unfortunate. But sometimes, you know, in chronic illness, there's a lot of systems involved. And a lot of times conventional providers, they don't understand the interconnection of things. Right. And so naturopathic, you know, medicine is, you know, really does a great job of showing the interconnections between systems and, um, you know, taking the time to make sure that all the systems are working in unison so that the person is disease-free. But I think for anybody, for people who are, I mean, I even name my clinic proactive, but for those people who want to be proactive about their health, not wait until they're super sick or who are sick and who still want to be proactive and be really understand how their body works and optimize their 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 wellness i think this naturopathic medicine is the key yeah it's the future you know it's it's it that's what medicine used to be before insurance companies pharmaceuticals and then all of a sudden we started to throw labels on you know providers and different different things but you know naturopathic medicine like what did we do before yeah right what do we do before we relied on people who knew fundamentally how certain herbs treated something right you know, how those those things like impact our physiology and i go back to a lot of texts by the elders and uh, rely on a lot of wisdom from older naturopathic physicians because they really have the knowledge and the tools to really um know how to help people yeah, yeah. keep people healthy yeah and create these baselines that now i can i kind of know yeah. Well, and the other thing I was going to say is that it's not for somebody who's looking for a quick fix. Some people actually do better in conventional medicine. Right. Because they just want a pill. They don't want to do the work. They want a pill that will mask their symptoms, that will make them feel like something is working. Right. So that's not, you know, for for somebody who's looking for like a quick fix, you know, go to a regular doctor. But for somebody who's looking to actually like yeah. work on their, you know, on, on themselves and give it a month, give it two months, three months to start seeing results, you know, yeah. because we have to kind of work up from the ground level up. Those are the kind of people who will really benefit long-term yeah. in naturopathic medicine and really live a fulfilling life. Do you ever do placebos? I don't. I was going to say, I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> I, I, if I were a naturopathic doctor, <laughs> do you know how many placebos I would be prescribing? <laughs> I would be like, listen, honey, listen. Take this. It That's will work. Right. Go to sleep at 8 o'clock tonight. <laughs> Go for a long walk tomorrow and then call me. <laughs> You're going to feel You're amazing. So funny. I'm going to have to try that. 
I would just, I would, dude, I'd be, I'd be prescribing so many placebos, like psyllium <laughs> husk or, I yeah. don't know, you something know, else, like yeah. invisible air pills. I don't know. Well, you know what's funny, like homeopathic medicine and homeopathy, because people say, well, you're only giving them sugar pills because it's essentially we're just working on the substance is diluted so much that you only really have the energy right. or whatever that substance is. So people frown upon homeopathy because they're like, well, it's just placebo, it's sugar pellets. But it works. Yeah. It works. That's all that matters. And I personally, I only dabble with homeopathy a little bit because I personally cannot explain for the life of me how it works. Right. I'm like you take a substance, you dilute it to beyond Avogadro's number, and there you have it. Yep. There's the water. Drink it. It works. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I, but I know so many people who are so good at homeopathy. And they get I, results. They get results. And right. I refer those people. I'm like, look. And I yeah. literally say, I'm not sure. I, can, I, I won't do the justice to explain how this works. Just trust me on this. Right. As your provider, I recommend you go see so-and-so. But however, like my kiddo, you know, kids are so great because they respond to herbs. They respond to homeopathy. Yeah. Like, they're just, like, amazing. And yeah. so I'm even, you know, like my son, he's battling this freakish cold right now. Um, but first of all, his immune system just, like, was just like not happy and it had a, had a really good response which makes me you know happy as a mom that it's not something lasting for like two weeks you know yeah but you know i went to his actually naturopathic pediatrician and she because i don't know anything about homeopathy really um even though i studied it extensively you know just not my line of treatment um she's like here are four tubes for you that have homeopathic pellets if he has a really high fever and he is super achy give him this hmm. if he has a high fever and he's fatigued give him this if he has a cold, if he has a cough and it hurts, give him this. And so I was like, cool. So even yesterday I had four remedies and I experimented which one he felt better on. Mm -hmm. And I could pinpoint which one didn't really make a difference and which one I was like, wow, he's coughing less. Huh. And it's not as painful. Huh. And I can tell because one, my kid is not screaming every time he coughs. Yeah. And he is not coughing as frequently. Yeah. So I could tell on the spot that it worked. Yeah. You Amazing. know? Amazing. And so, because kids are just, they're clean little things. Yeah. <laughs> they just respond to things so quickly. Yeah. And um, did, did I, do I know exactly how the mechanism of action? No. Do I care? No, because it gives me results. Yeah. And it's technically sugar pellets that are coated with the substance. Yeah. Or they're infused. Um, but, you know, that kind of, when he asked me about placebo, I didn't want to say homeopathy because that would be disrespectful to a lot of really great people who yeah. practice homeopathy. And actually, one of my favorite professors was somebody who um, taught homeopathy because he really encouraged looking at the whole person. But I think the beauty in homeopathy is that it encourages you to look at all the layers of the humans. Right. Because it's really like when we peel one layer off, we find another one and another one. And sometimes, I'll be honest, like, I have clients who I see who are just like, physically I cannot find anything. Mm -hmm. Mentally I cannot find anything. I'm like, energetic and spiritual yeah. is the next sphere that we go to, you know? Right. And uh, But one of my favorite professors who, um, uh, who was teaching homeopathy, he's like, what is freedom? And f that, that feeling of freedom is really being free from like ailments. Like, mm physical, mental, emotional. Yeah. You know, when you don't have something disturbing you mentally, physically, or emotionally, 
you said, you have a sense of freedom. Yeah. Almost nirvana. For sure. Right? And so that was like first quarter of medical school that I was like, holy cow, this is deep. Yeah, wow. <laughs> to, to Bula Rasa and your, yeah. and your, and your yeah. degree. Yeah. Well, I, I asked the same last question for all my guests. Great. And is it what I'm, am I going to eat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you eat and what now? No, that, that's, yeah. that's not a bad idea though. <laughs> uh, if you would please finish the sentence. Okay. Um, based on everything you know, everyone should know that. Mm. Everyone should know that they are in charge of their decisions and their health and that the body's super resilient and that we just need to give it an opportunity to bounce back. But at the end of the day, everybody's making decisions, right? We're making decisions, we're voting with our forks, we're voting with how we use our time. Everything is about our decision making whether it's the provider that we see or don't see, whether it's the food that we eat or don't eat, how we spend the time with our loved ones, like it's all about the decision making. So at the end of the day, you, your power is in your decisions. So that's what I would, I would say. Dr. Zinkoff, thanks for <laughs> joining us on the Optimal Performance Thank Podcast. You. Thank you, it's been a great pleasure. And that's it. <laughs>